Well, good morning. If you would turn to Romans chapter 8. A familiar passage, I know it's a passage that uh, many have committed various verses to memory from Romans 8, full of wonderful promises, our inheritance. Romans 8. Well, the baby Robin lay dead. One of my granddaughters found it under our pine tree. At one point, the little bird was secure, high in the nest in the tree. The mother Robin's breast kept it warm and safe, fed, protected. But I suppose this little chick wanted to fly, wanted to soar, wanted to be free. And so out of the nest it flew. But it was too early and now it was too late. It fell to the ground and it died. Some will say that your life is no more valuable than that little robin's. Some will say that the little robin's life is even more valuable than your life. Now you know better, of course. Mankind is the top of God's natural creation. On the sixth day, he created man, woman, made us in his image with the capability to think and to relate and to love and and to manage nature. The psalmist looks at all creation and the moon and the stars which God had made, and he asks this question. He says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why do you care so much about man, is what he asks God. And he recognizes what we do deep in our being, that humanity is the highest form of God's natural creation. It's the understanding of this that informs our view on the life of the unborn. It informs our understanding of, of, of hospitals, which Christians started. The elderly, how we treat the elderly slavery, and even education, the value and dignity of every person. We are so valued that even after death, God is not finished with us. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Some translations say, in us. Now here he's speaking of the children of God, heirs of Christ, adopted into God's family through Christ Jesus. He's drawing an equation. He's saying that any suffering now for God's children because of our faith in Christ is less than the glory which is going to be revealed. He's saying there's, there's so much more coming that God is not done 
creating us, as there's something so great coming, there's so, something so wonderful coming, so amazing coming, so incredible coming, that anything, anything we face in this life in Christ cannot even be compared to the resurrection, to glory. Don't even try to compare it. Whatever comes, and it seems much is coming fast, as Christians are beginning to be isolated and pushed out of various areas of commerce and professional life in Canada, unable to speak openly about what informs our faith as the pressure builds to become allies to the current sexual agendas and the abortion culture and so on. Remember this, whatever comes cannot be compared to the glory that is coming. Humanity is the top of God's natural creation. And beyond death, there is a summit, there is a pinnacle There is a height that is only reachable for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that is the resurrection to glory. Now, in preparation for death, many, many of you have done your last will and testament. You have visited your lawyers, perhaps. You plan for death. You plan your funeral even, some of you. You plan your gravesite. You plan on where your property and your goods are going to be allocated. God plans way beyond our death. And we are going to be changed internally, externally, and eternally. The revelation of his glory will be in our new bodies. But right now, in the present time, there can be difficult times. In in our text in Romans 8, he lists three groans. Three groans that are ongoing and constant. He says in verse 22 of creation... Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In verse 23, he speaks of we ourselves as Christians groaning. He says there, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then in verse 26, he speaks of the Spirit of God groaning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This word groaning, Luke used this word to describe the Israelites during their bondage in Egypt, and they groaned to be free. The writer of Hebrews uses this word groaning, describing the grief of of church elders 
that can come to them, that, that grief through, through unruly church members. They groan. Here in verse 22, he speaks of creation groaning, and he describes it in terms of childbirth, the pains of childbirth until now. That is, a baby is coming. The process is painful, but the end result is wonderful, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. Why is creation groaning? Well, look at verse 20. He tells us there, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that's God, in hope. He's saying creation is groaning because of us. Because of the fall of man into sin and impurity. And that there is no part of nature that now exists as God intended it to be. Nor as it originally was. Remember Genesis, cursed be the ground because of you. Creation groans because of us. The consequences of our fallenness in the moral sphere have spread to the natural world. And so he says in verse 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Notice, bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is, now it is under shackles creation. We are fallen and our sin has bound the natural order. Our task to take dominion of God's creation and manage creation as stewards of God is frustrated continually. The ground became our enemy rather than our servants. Many of us put down weed barriers when we redo our gardens and our flower beds. I have found that weeds grow on weed barriers. (laughs) I don't even bother with weed barriers anymore. Such is the fallenness of nature. This week there were articles about how solar panels are actually creating a toxic mess of chemicals in landfills And how windmills, those huge windmills we see, those blades cannot be recycled and they end up in landfills and they're as big as 747s. There is no utopia. There is no Eden to get back to. No matter how hard we try, the path is forward, not backward. Creation is groaning and it is hurting And it's crying out for deliverance. And no part of the created realm, animal, mineral, vegetable, or even baby birds lying dead at the base of a pine tree. Nothing is as God intended or as it originally was. Creation is in bondage, in decay, corruption. And we see it every year. We see it typified or illustrated for us under God's providence in the seasons that come and go. We see the new life of spring and then the summer of abundance and maturity. And then we see the fall of harvest 
and decay and then the winter of death. Science has identified the decay principle in the second law of thermodynamics. In the universe, everything ultimately falls apart. It degrades, it disintegrates over time. Your clothing fades. The new car begins to wear out. The weeds come up, the flowers wilt, the fence turns gray. The new road gets potholes. Things revert to chaos, not to order. And that is the burden of man's sin on all that has been made. And it's part of our everyday lives if we're watching. Creation was pronounced good, but now it groans. It was to cooperate, and now it defies us. It was all about life, but now it's all about death and decay. And our fallenness and its consequences has reached into the very fiber of everything that has been made. Creation groans constantly. And it's waiting. It's groaning because of us and it's waiting for us. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing. That's like its neck is outstretched and looking, looking, looking. Eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's watching. Creation is pictured as sitting on the edge of its seat, looking for the birth to happen, watching, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for resurrection day, waiting for the moment of God's revelation in us and to us when our sin is no more and no more bondage, no more corruption and decay and the new heavens and the new earth and all creation will be then as God intends with no sin weighing it down. Creation will cease its groaning through the redemption of the human life and the future resurrection of God's people. The path is forward to the sound of the trumpet at the last trump. When the dead in Christ are raised and we who are left are raised. (laughs) Wherever you go, and we do like to look at creation, don't we? We admire the scenery and the view. But wherever you go, it's as though creation is looking at you. It's looking at you as a child of God if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's it's looking at you and, and it's saying, I can't wait. I can't wait. Look there, a Christian. I can't wait. I can't wait. Because the tree knows That when you rise, it will be free. The lake knows when you come forth from the grave, it will be liberated. The clouds and the winds and the sun and the moon and the stars know that when you are resurrected, their groanings will cease and their new birth comes. And so scripture says of the Lord, 
Behold, I am making all things new. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the water covers the sea. And not only creation groaning, but we ourselves are groaning. Look at, in verse 23, he tells us this. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Not outwardly. It's not something others see. It's an inward thing as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons. The redemption of our bodies. We are not what was intended And we are not yet what we will be. The fallenness principle is is just not outside of us, around us. But it's within us. We are the agents of fallenness. And our character and our personality and our nature is bent, marred, askew. The Bible in the book of Romans says there's none righteous, not even one. That we're we're all in this together. We see those signs around on some people's lawns. And in this case, it's true. We are all in this together. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And fallenness is unstoppable by any power that we can wield. And we ourselves, though having the first fruit of the Spirit, as verse 23 says, that is, even though we are converts to Christ, redeemed by the blood of Christ, and walking in the Spirit of Christ, living in the Spirit, mindset on the things of the Spirit, as we saw last week, yet we wait eagerly. We groan about us. Uh, We groan for our resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. We groan for what is coming because it's wonderful. You know, the older I get in Christ and in age, I do sense I fit in all too easily at times into the world. Perhaps you feel it too. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Prone to say, give me my inheritance now, Lord, that I might spend it. Do you not get tired of yourself sometimes? And the sins you're wrestling with and sinning, sins that you are even overcoming. We can feel that we fit in a little too easily into this world, and, and yet at the same time, the older we get in age and in Christ, the more we sense we don't fit in. I mentioned this last week, and I'm sure many of you sense this as well. 
The mind of Christ is not the mind of the world. And our fellow Canadians, what they're doing and how they're living and what they're thinking and how they are behaving, we are out of sync with them. Like a movie that's not in sync with the audio, you know? Like, or, or like a tire that's out of alignment. We don't fit in. We don't line up. We don't connect. The world is off kilter. And we are a stranger to it. Aliens, but fellow citizens together in the household of God. And so we have this, I, I, I don't fit in and I do fit in. And this tension is real. And it brings forth in us a, a longing, a groaning, a waiting. As, as with patience, he tells us, we wait with patience for the resurrection day. When that all tension is gone and we can say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. That's what we're groaning for. Not only does creation groan, waiting for our resurrection. Not only do we ourselves groan, waiting for our resurrection. But the Spirit of God groans as well. In verse 26, he intercedes for us in our weakness with groanings too deep for words. He says, likewise, in verse 26, that is, in the same way as creation, and we are grown, the Spirit of God groans like that. And he comes alongside us, and he's groaning for us. Because we're weak. In our weakness, he says, in our humanness, as followers of Christ and the vestiges of our fallenness in our life and our susceptibility to sin and doubt and our confusion, our battles against the old man, the flesh. We're weak apart from the help of God and, and we don't even know how to pray as we ought, he tells us here. We don't even know how to pray for what we ought to pray for. In verse 26, because we have such imper imperfect perspectives and our minds are so finite and we have such frailties and we have such limitations. And you've been there when you've prayed, you know, sometimes you wonder, how do I even begin, Lord? What, how do I pray or what should I pray? Or I forget to pray. Or we pray our will instead of his will. And we don't even tell the difference. Can't even tell the difference. And we get so confused. Even about what's right and wrong. And what's best and what's not best. And the Lord helps. The Lord understands. 
He himself intercedes for us. In the midst of our weakness, God is on our side. And we are never alone. In the midst of our confusion, and the, the Spirit of God groans for us on our behalf. And so there's no Christian that can say that nobody prays for me. The Spirit of God prays for you. The Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, is especially detailed by the Father to pray for you. Verse 27, and he, that is God, the Father, who searches hearts, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He prays in a way that's totally beyond our comprehension. Groanings too deep for words, we read here. Beyond our understanding. And we're told that this intra-Trinitarian communion or communication about us is happening. The Trinity is talking about you. The Spirit is groaning for you. Verse 34 says the Son, Jesus, is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. And the Father unfolds his plans for us and he's listening. And he's answering. Creation groans because of us. We groan about us. And the Spirit of God groans for us. Which brings us to such a familiar passage, doesn't it? In verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that is, that many might join with him. And those whom he called, he, he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. <laughs> Wonderful promises here. God doesn't promise us here freedom from hardship. He doesn't promises freedom from difficulties, suffering, challenges in life. He does promise that his providential, sovereign power is able to take all the variables of life and work them out ultimately for your good, the good of his people, because he is so powerful and because of who he is, and who we are in Christ. He does this. He plans it all out from beginning to end. The chain of salvation ending in glory. Look at that chain. He says, predestined, called, justified, glorified, verse 30. It's all him. God's plan for his family, for us, with many brothers, <laughs> His, fam his, his plans for his family go beyond this life, beyond death, all the way to resurrection day and beyond. 
And his hand is on every step of the way. You know, church leaders across Canada are wondering how many of the flock will not come back to the fellowship of the church once things open up again. They're wondering how many, because of COVID, have wandered away and how many will never return. How many have left the nest and fallen. For some, all it took was COVID to turn them back to the world, to turn them into the world once again. And some are scared, some are paranoid, some are angry, some are self-righteous, some are critical, some are gone for good. I hear this in various pastoral meetings I'm involved with. And this wondering how many are going to come back. How many have left Christ? The present inconveniences are all it took. And brothers and sisters, what is coming and what we can see coming is so much more than this. So much worse than this. And so much more difficult than this. And if we are focused on our comforts and our conveniences, if we are focused on our jobs or our wealth or our reputations or our opinions, we will not endure in faith. But whatever has come and is coming yet, God is so amazing. He is able to providentially and sovereignly direct it all for our ultimate good. God will get us to the finish line. He's committed himself to that. To that finish line of us becoming fully Christ-like even in our flesh through the resurrection to life. And so will you trust him in life's difficulties? We're called here to keep perspective. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Saying, look at what God gave for us. His son. And all things here is not a promise of good health. It's not a promise of material blessings or no suffering or death. It's not even the promise of a pension or real estate or, or whatever you can come up with. He's going to give all that is necessary to see us from here to there to glory, to resurrection day. So keep perspective no matter what comes and keep the faith. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. It's a courtroom scene that's presented here. We have the prosecutors, the judge. We have the intercessor, Christ, who has the ear of God. And he is constantly showing his work for us what he did for us, showing that to the Father so that we cannot be condemned. Keep perspective and keep the faith. There's a hymn that says, Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. And then keep hope. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's rhetorical. It means no one. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Christ experienced many of these things. And these are woes that can come to a Christian at any time in your life. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, Nakedness, danger, sword. They come to Christians time and time again. As it is written, he quotes now from Psalm 44, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Keep hope. Nothing can separate us from his love. And so we can keep triumphing. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are some who believe that this was an early Christian hymn and that Paul is actually quoting from it here. It has sort of a hymnic quality to it in the Greek. It almost sounds like a hymn. And what he's telling us is nothing new, nothing unexpected. There's nothing novel that comes in our life. There's nothing unique to you (laughs) so that you can endure. And we can endure it together because no person, no event, no circumstance, nothing can separate us from his love. And so we keep triumphing. Uh, No pandemics, no experiences, no evil powers. He loves us. And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. And so, under his wings... I am safely abiding. Though the night deepens and tempests are wild, still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me and I am his child. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. In a way, it's like we are that little robin in the nest of so much more worth and value 
because we're made in the image of God. And we're made anew in Christ's image and will be resurrected in his likeness. Christ is our hope in life and in death. And we huddle under God's wing. We are warmed there. We are protected from the storms there. The winds and the rain that blow. And there, under his wing, we are sheltered. We are nurtured. We are nourished and fed in his love. And oh, in our country, we're being told, you don't need God. We're being told God is not there. That God doesn't care. That you should fly out on your own and be free to believe in yourself and We're being told to leave his nest. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because what they won't tell you is what they don't want you to know. You will fall to the ground if you do and perish. No matter what comes and how much groaning and how much waiting... Keep perspective, keep the faith, keep hope, and keep triumphing. And he will keep loving. The scripture says, like a bird protecting its young, God will cover you with his feathers. He will protect you under his great wings. His faithfulness will form a shield around you, a rock solid wall to protect you. He will bring all his plans forward to completion. And that includes our resurrection to glory. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are the most faithful God who cannot lie. In all these things, we praise you and we thank you. We bless you. We magnify you. Through our eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, your well-loved son. And you have given us your spirit. Thank you that you care for us and love us. That you have redeemed us through the blood of your son. And we praise you and ask that you would help us as a flock of God here at People's Church. In the midst of difficulties and challenges and the stuff of life and even the way things are going in our society, that you would help us to endure in faith, to stay close to your warmth under your wing, looking ahead for that great day. And we thank you. We pray together. Dependent on you, in Jesus' name, amen.